thought I had my green light. Oh, there we go. Okay, green light's on. <laughs> um, yeah, Paul wanted me to share a little bit about uh, our story. And um, so it begins uh, for both Michelle and I uh, back in high school. Uh, so my dad was military. We moved around a whole bunch. I was born in Orange County, California, back before it was popular to be from Orange County. And uh, we lived as far south as uh, Puerto Rico. And um, Michelle... Uh, was uh, the daughter of a southern gentleman and an English lady. So their accents totally canceled each other out, and we both sound like we're just totally all-American uh, type people. And so um, we, uh, uh, we met in high school. My dad got stationed in Mobile, Alabama, and I was uh, the suspender-wearing uh, Mohawk punk. And uh, so he used to say I was not at the level of Michelle because she was, you know, second in the class. And uh, so everybody was wondering what was going on. But uh, the Lord was in it, and we immediately knew we wanted to get married. So we had not read uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and we were dating all the way through college. She went to a smart school. I went to Auburn University, which is certainly a smart school, but a little bit easier to get in uh, if you're like me. And so um, she, uh, we both graduated, and like Paul was saying, I graduated May 10th, 2007. I moved our stuff up to... Philadelphia in uh, May 15, 2007. We got, uh, she graduated May 22nd, 2007. We got married May 27th, 2007, May 26th. And then we moved up to uh, Philadelphia on June 1st. So within a month, we just totally decided to jump, you know, like five stages in life. And uh, we didn't get a dog, but we did, you know, get a new area. And um, so, yeah, in the meantime, uh, about in high school or in college, um, the Lord uh, put John Piper's preaching in my life, and um, after Piper had kind of punched on my head a little bit with preaching, um, we uh, found Sovereign Grace Ministries and uh, had found a home where we wanted to be, uh, we wanted to serve alongside people and pursue pastoral ministry, if that would be the Lord's will. And so for the last six years, I've been a computer technician in the Philadelphia area, and we have two boys. Uh, Owen, who is um, a wild, fully boy, three-year-old, and um, he, you know, for Christmas he loves Christmas songs, and he's been singing. We put him down at eight o'clock, and for like, from eight to nine, he basically sings uh, Jingle Bells like nonstop at full volume, and <laughs> so it's really a lot of fun. And uh, Isaac um, is two months old, and so he's a little bit more chill, and uh, he just kind of hangs out. So. Um, so yeah, and then we're up here. I've been uh, thinking about uh, New England, um, thinking about the need, uh, the lack of gospel witness in the New England area. Um, been grateful for your guys' faithfulness to love the Lord and persevere and to love Him in this area. And uh, we're eager to continue to think about what the Lord would do in Manchester. Um, it's just a great city. Uh, God cruelly is on the move there. We, this weekend we spent some time with another church planner in Manchester getting to know what's going on, and uh, it's just a great, it's a great place, and we're really in faith with what the Lord has moving forward, um, and the best part about it would be serving alongside you guys, and getting to know you better, and serving um, beside your pastoral team, who are great guys, and uh, so that's, that's kind of the update. Is that sufficient, Paul? Okay, I just want to make sure I meet the mark on that. <laughs> um, so this morning, we're going to be uh, looking at God's Word in 1 John chapter 2, 
this small section on the return of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him makes himself or purifies himself as he is pure. Let me pray for us. Father, you have such grace for us in this verse and passages that we would know you, that we would delight in you as our Father that we would see who you are as our Father, that you have made us the children of God. Father, would you send your Spirit and give us hope and joy in the return of Christ, that we would abide in him now. Oh God, we need you. As we just sang, we look forward to seeing you, but we need you now. God, would you send your Spirit, that we would delight in your word. In Christ we pray. Amen. So I don't know about you, but um, as I've gotten older, uh, the Christian life has not really gotten a lot easier. Uh, it seems that uh, as things have gone on, that things have gotten harder. Uh, maybe I was a little naive when I was younger and thought that you just kind of ascended from one degree of delightful glory into the next, but uh, it seems to me that as life gets, goes on, that the trials of life and the realities of life are hard. Uh, it's you know, our bodies fail, family dies, uh, suffering, trials, uh, even just our own inward, we can't change as easily and as quickly as we want. Uh, but the great thing is that, that God knows this struggle, and John knows this struggle. John, in First John, is, is, this is a, a real pastoral letter where he's just writing. It's as though he were walking the aisles and trying to care for us through First John, uh, working circles around major themes and trying to care for us in the trials of life. Um, you know, he's wanting to give us a particular blast of confidence, trying to stir our hearts in the confidence of God and God's activity that we would be resting in God. John's aim is that we would rest in God for who he is. And so that's where he comes up with this theme through the, through the whole book of 1 John, abiding language keeps coming up, and it's in his gospel as well, talking about abiding a lot. And this whole theme of abiding really is, is that the essential part of who we are, we trust in God. It's, it's, it's experiential, this identity of who we are down into the, the depths of, of our hearts that we, that we trust God and that we lean on Him. So that, that's what he's saying when he's talking about abiding. And so, uh, because God has made us his children, John is pulling out this theme of making us, God making us his children. So because God has made us his children, we can abide in him until Christ returns. 
that's what, what John is aiming to stir our faith in, that we would abide in God. And so there's, as a traditional sermon, we have three points. <laughs> there's how we can, uh, three things that we can know about abiding in God. We abide in God by knowing that we are born of God. We abide in God by knowing that we are adopted by God. And we abide in God by looking forward to seeing God. So we're, we're going to go through these very simply. Verses 28 and 29, we know, uh, we abide in God by knowing that we are born of God. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So the main theme of what he's talking about, like I was saying, the abide in him, that's what he's aiming to get us to to hold up. And so there's this return of Christ that he's pointing to, and underneath that is these two columns of what I would say is the confidence before the verdict at the return of Christ and the confidence in the verdict, in the verdict of what Christ is going to tell us at the return. So Christ is coming back, and he doesn't want us to have fear or anxiety coming up to the return of Christ. Christ is coming, and he's going to be returning in judgment. Uh, the unveiling of Christ is going to be making clear all that God did in Christ on the cross. Through the cross, through his life resurrection, his death on the cross, all of that is God unveiling his love and his mercy to us. And at the return of Christ, it's all going to become clear. He's going to take the curtain away. It's going to all be clear. We're going to, we're going to see him for who he is, which means that judgment is going to come as well. We're going to be judged by God. And so when we have faith in Christ... God holds out that we should have confidence in Christ's return. And not only that, so the second column is so there's this confidence coming to the return of Christ, and there's this confidence in the verdict. So we don't have to worry about what Christ is going to say. In trusting in Christ, we know that the verdict of all that we are and all that we deserve has been laid on Christ. And so we can have confidence that God is going to tell us, accepted, forgiven, delighting in us. So that's the, there's this confidence coming up to Christ, confidence in what Christ is going to say. And so then from that, John is kind of working backwards. So that that's what's coming. And then between now and then is this, this part of what he talks about saying, those who know that he is righteous practice righteousness. They, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And I find it interesting that, that John talks about practicing righteousness rather than producing righteousness. Christ is himself righteous, and he's all that we need. God's not holding up for us to, to live the perfect life and to get the right uh, good works and merit badges in life. He's wanting us to work out, to live in, and practice the righteousness that Christ has, has accomplished. So that, that means that, that Christ is himself righteous, and then we live in faith in Christ, and we're practicing righteousness. We're, we're living like Jesus. We're loving like Jesus. We're walking after him. So that, that, that bolsters that confidence. We don't have to worry about, is our, our good works sufficient? Christ's good works are sufficient. We're practicing righteousness. We're walking after Christ. We're walking in step with him. And so then, as we're saying, John's working backwards. So he's looking at the, the return of Christ, the between then and there, this and there of practicing righteousness, and then he grounds it in being born of God. And that's where he's aiming at. He's wanting us to, to, 
to abide in God by knowing that we're born of God. We abide in God by knowing that, that we are born of him. And so this whole idea, I mean, what is this idea of being born of God? You know, John has this, this really clear picture of light and darkness through 1 John, where he's talking about those who are apart from God are in darkness. They are themselves defined by darkness. They want to hide who they are. They want to shrink away. They want to cover over their, their identity and you know, try to cover up their sins. And God is himself pure holiness and light. He, he loves to delight in everything that is good. And so the light of God is what people are shrinking away from. And so John has this whole picture of conversion, of becoming a Christian as somebody who steps into the light, who exposes who they are. They know who they are before God. They know that they are themselves unworthy. They're not holy. They're defiled. They're weak. They're frail. But God, when the light of God shines on us, that that idea of when, when God shines on us, what we hear is forgiven. It's not judgment because Christ came and died for the judgment that we deserve. So that's where, where John has this stepping into the light picture as, a, as an idea of what the gospel is so that we are exposed. We know who we are. We know who God is. And what God is is revealed to us in Jesus as being forgiveness and love and mercy and grace. And so... When we are born of God, it's stepping into the light, and so then we are seeing God for who he is, and we become like God in that we want to walk like God. We want to live in light of who God is. And so that, that, uh, that idea of, of loving God and wanting to be like him is, is contrasted. I wouldn't want to uh, impinge upon any of you this example, but in my life, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about... Um, when my brother and I were younger, my parents and I would go out for, you know, a date, or they would go out, and, um, you know, they would go out, you never know when they're going to get back, but, you know, the bedtime's kind of like 8 or 9 o'clock or something like that, but they're going to be out late, and so my brother and I would stay up late, um, eating lots of chips and popcorn and watching movies, and probably way late past our bedtime, and then the, uh, the, uh, the, the moment of doom, you see the car lights coming down the driveway, and you're frantically trying to clean up, get everything cleaned up and put, put away. And, you know, when you put your hand in a bag of chips, there's this effect of, like, crumbs just kind of getting everywhere. And so it's just evidence that you were not where you should have been. You should have been in bed. And so my you know, parents' car driving down the driveway, frantically trying to clean everything up and get in bed because you should have been in bed, you know, trying to, you know, slide into home base under the covers before the light turns on in the garage, you know. And so, you know, you got, like, that five-second window. And that, so there's that picture of like this frantic trying to clean up. That's not what the return of Christ is going to be like for people who have been born of God. They're not going to be trying to frantically clean up their lives. They would have been seeing Christ for who he is, delighting in him, wanting to be like him, and abiding in him. So there's not going to be this frantic cleaning up. There's going to be this delighting in him that's going to match what Christ is when he returns. And so, um, you know, the this picture of frantically cleaning up is not what the, what the Christian life is going to be like when Christ returns. We're going to be delighting in him. And so I think one of the points that John would have us dwell on here is that we, we tend to get, we tend to want to think about being born of God 
is, uh, okay, we, we've done that, John, but now we've got the real trials of life. Remember how we were talking about, I mean, there's just a lot of uh, hardness in the Christian life, and what John, John is aiming at is saying, look, no, you are not defined by the circumstances of what's going on, the trials that are going on. John wants to take us back. You are born of God, which means that God was the one that acted first. God saved you. He reached out into the darkness and drew you in to the light that you would know him and delight in him. That's God's activity to make you born of God. And so when, we, when it comes to the, you know, the financial struggles of life, the family struggles of life, we know that, that God was the one who acted first. God was the one that brought us into his family. God was the one that brought us into him to know him so that the confidence that we have, even looking forward to 2014, you know, what's going to be going on? I mean, I can guarantee you that there's going to be a lot of trials and there's going to be hardship and there's going to be joys too. And the joy that we can have that's going to sustain us through 2014 is that God is with us, that God was the first one who acted that God loves us and brought us into himself, that we would know him. So we, we can't just like skip past this being born of God. We were born of God. Now we, we need parenting books. We need marriage books. Those are certainly helpful. But they're only going to be helpful in the sense of they help you recognize that you're born of God, that God was the first one who acted in your life. So I think... Um, so I think that that helps us to know, to know God himself is with us and that we can abide in him. Knowing that he was the first one who acted. We're not trying to produce anything. So the second thing we say is we abide in God by knowing that we are adopted by God. So verse 30, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, we know that see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us, excuse me, is because it did not know him. You see, Jesus didn't come to save us and then just kind of leave us with a blank slate. He didn't come to save us and then just leave us out in the lobby. God, God sent Jesus, the Father sent Jesus Christ into the world, into our darkness to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we deserved so that he could bring us into his family. God, God didn't just send Jesus to get us into a general relationship with God. He wanted us into a relationship that was defined by family knowing him, to be a, a son or daughter of God himself. We, we all sit in a room, we breathe air, we live lives in the world that God himself has created and sustains. And that very God is the one who's in, who has sent Jesus to bring us into the family of God so that God is now our Father. And that's the kind of love that God gives us. He doesn't give us a general love. He gives us a particular love. He wants us to know and to be in his family. J.M. Packer says this, You sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and the whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught 
everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to being merely Jewish, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. God has brought us into his family. There is there's now an obligation between God to care for us. He loves us and cares for us through this life, through the trials that we're talking about. He's with us. He is our father to relate to us. You know, I, and this, he says, this is the kind of love. See, this love. And I've seen this. I don't know how many of you have walked alongside anybody that's walked through an adoption process. Um, we've walked through several friends we thought about ourselves, but we, we've walked with several friends along the process of adoption. And the amazing thing to me is, as I reflected on this verse, it's the love for the child that these people are adopting is what's creating the space in their family for that child. Before the child even exists, before they know, you know domestic or local, before they know anything about special needs or number of children, they, the love for this child and these people that we've walked alongside creates the space for that child in the family of God and in their family and that's what God does with us his love for us is what sent Christ to the cross to bring us into his family and and it's just it's this picture that God himself wants us to be satisfied with him he doesn't want us to be satisfied with anything other than himself that's why why God is, is looking not to give us a clean slate and then go your way God's saving us in Christ so that we can relate to him and know him as our father. That's why J.F. Packer says that the, the biggest idea in the New Testament about the name of God is father. Because he wants us to know him, to relate to him. And so, um, the question that comes to my mind is, this, this tends to kind of drift away from us. I don't know about you, but it, it certainly drifts away from me. I you know, we, we've been in a busy season, we, you know, moving, selling the house, getting to the pastor's college, having a new baby, like, right away, and it's just, life gets rough and hard, and like, I'm just trying to, like, I'm just trying to stay a Christian until 9 o'clock in the morning when I wake up, you know? Like, I, I mean, get, you know, people talk about, like, they have, like, three hours of prayer, and, like, these extended devotion times, just like, man, like, I'm just trying to get to breakfast, I, I don't know. Um, but that, you know, God is looking for us to be satisfied with him. You know, one application of this could be read your Bible and get to know God better. He's your father. And, but I don't think that that's what John's after. John wants us, this is, this is a day-by-day application of knowing God as our father. It's, it's not a Bible reading program. It's, and those things are great, and they can certainly serve, I mean, I do a Bible reading program occasionally, um, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's not that. It's, it's just day by day, we need God as our Father, not works, not all this other stuff that are great. But at the heart of it, the, the, if the heart of the Christian message is God is your Father because Christ died for your sins, then that's what we need to know experientially. It's not a Bible reading program or anything like that. But if, if you want to talk about Bible reading programs, I'd be happy to do that. Um, and so. And an application of this then would be um, ask yourself tomorrow, you know, tonight, 
do, do you rest in knowing that God is your Father? Do you abide in that knowledge of Him loving you? See this kind of love. God gave this kind of love to make you His son or daughter. This is the love that God gave us. It's an, it's an experience. It's knowing Him. It's resting in who He is. It, so one of the things that I've found as being a father, um, you know, so Isaac kind of, I mean, he would experience, you know, be, me being dad as, you know, the one who holds him at night to help him fall asleep and, you know, has a deeper voice than mommy. Um, and that's kind of his experience. But Owen, uh, Michelle's done a great job of, of training Owen uh, to totally go berserk when I get home. Um, it's usually for good things. And he... Um, he just he delights to get home when I get home and to see me and you know we you know wrestle around and play Legos and knights and Batman and Spider Man all that stuff so he is totally excited to see me when I get home and and I think that that's and John's thinking as, so we've been talking about we ab- we abide in God by knowing that we've been born of God we abide in God by knowing that we've been adopted by God and then we abide in God by knowing that we're going to see God. And I think that that's the connection between knowing that we're adopted by God and going to see God is this idea of, of children delighting to see their parents, to see their father. It's not merely good enough to, to want to, to be adopted by God, to know him as your father, and it's great, but you never see him. The, the connection in John's mind is you, you're adopted by God, you're his son or daughter. You want to see God. You long to see him. And so that's, that's the connection then between verses, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, 1 and 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. So that's the experience he's talking about. We are God's children now. We love God. We delight in who God is now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. When Christ returns, the love that we have for God, we're going to be like God. It's going to go from being a, a, faith, um, a faith in God to being a sight of God. And when we see him, we're going to be like him. The sight of God is going to, is the things about God and God himself that we've been seeing with our hearts is going to, Manif- is, is going to be seen with our eyes and our whole existence is going to change to be just like him. We're going to reflect God. Those, those who, who love God are going to be like him. But I, I appreciate how John puts this, this little word in there, yet. And, and that captures his pastoral heart for us. We love God. We're children of God. We're going to see him. And the word that defines that the difference between now and then is yet. That, and that's where the hard stuff is. That's where the hard stuff of life is at. We, we long to see God. We love him. And yet, that full unveiling of Christ where the full realization of a new heaven, a new earth, no more death, no more sickness, no more doctor's visits, no more lawsuits, no more family trials, no more, uh, you know, breaking down of bodies, no more anxiety about tomorrow. That's all then. But we still live in the yet. You know, we, it, it's hard. 
And that's where the, the struggles of life are at. But God enters into that. And that's where, you know, you want a Christmas verse? You just flip right over into John 3, and he says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's a, that's a you know, a fighter-type Christmas verse. It's not, you know, baby Jesus in the manger. There's death and destruction and war going on in the return of Christ that's, that's begun in baby Christ. And so the, the struggles of life are are seen in light of Christ when we, we trust in him and we know him and he gives us power. He gives us strength to persevere. I mean, you, you think about the people in your life that, that struggle and they're strained, but they're Christians and you see this peace of God that comes in their life. You see the wisdom of God in making decisions that are challenging decisions. That is Christ himself coming in and destroying the works of the devil and giving us faith and hope until he returns. We don't see him yet, and that's where the struggle is. But we don't see him yet because he's returning. He's going to come back. And as the sun climbs over the horizon, and we begin to see the, the, the reality of the world around us every morning, that's what Christ is going to do. When he returns, we're going to be able to see everything as it actually is. See, the life and the struggles that we have had, you know, when we struggle and, and strain in life, there are 10,000 things that God is doing in that moment that we don't see. We see maybe one or two things, faith, perseverance. There's 10,000 things that God is doing. And when Christ returns, those 10,000 things are going to build a mountain to the glory of God. People are going to see God for who he is and all the work that he's been doing and all of those 10,000 things that God has been doing in our lives that we can't see, that we'll see when Christ returns, are the things that Christ bought for us on the cross. So that's, you know, John is so, I mean, he's focused on the gospel affecting our lives so that we abide in God now so that when we see Christ return and we see the effects of the cross fully realized. That's what, that, so there's this negative side of yet. I haven't seen him yet. But there's this posit- yet he is coming back. There's no question about it. Christ is coming back, and this yet gives us hope for the year ahead. I, I don't know what the struggles are that you're facing. I mean, I, I anticipate the last year has been hard for Michelle and I and our family, and the next year is probably going to be hard as well. And there's things about this last year that have been hard, struggles and trials we've faced that we had no idea about this day last year. There's going to be struggles and trials this day next year that you had no idea are coming. But it's that yet, Christ is returning. So all the struggles and strains of life, God enters into. Remember, you were born of God. God loves you. He's brought you into his family. He is abiding with you this next year. And the call is for you to abide in God this next year. To abide in him, to trust in him for what he's doing in your life. So the questions that John would ask us now are, one, are you abiding in him? We talked about it. It's, there's, there's so many things that come across our lives that, sh- that yank us around. But are you abiding in him? And so the question, a, a part of that is, if you don't know Christ, you're not abiding in him. And the call of John would be for you to, to trust in Christ, to abide in Christ, to know God as your father. And if you don't know Christ, I would, I would love to talk to the after service. So, so John's asking this question, are you abiding in him now? And I think one of the uh, second question is, you know, how do, how do we act out? How do we act like we're abiding in Christ? 
I think one of the things that, that John would say is, he said earlier in First John chapter, 1 John, verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin. So abiding in God looks like the regular experience of confessing sin, knowing the joy of forgiven in Christ, knowing that joy, walking in fellowship with each other, feeling our weakness. There's a dependency in, in faith that God requires. God requires for faith to feel uncomfortable and dependent. But that, that's what it means to be abiding in God, to feel dependent on God. He, it's okay to feel dependent and to feel weak. God's entering into that with you. He wants you to know that he's with you. So that's, that, that, those experience things, confession of sin, the, the fellowship, Sunday morning worship with great people who love the Lord, walking with him day by day, that's the experience of abiding in God, walking with him, trusting in him. So one of the things that we would say then in conclusion is just that this, like we were saying before, that the experience of knowing God experience of abiding in God isn't just a Bible reading plan or what we can do tomorrow. It's knowing Him. There's this, this reality of the world that God loves us. He sent His Son to die for us, that we can know Him. And so it's an experience. We have to know God. We have to trust in Him, rest in Him. You know, the, the next year may be hard, but God's with us. We know we can abide in God by knowing We've been born of God. We're adopted by God. And that one day we'll see him. And one day we'll see him and all these things, all the things that make you sad and are painful and hard and difficult, they'll become... One of my favorite phrases in The Lord of the Rings is when Samwise Gamgee says to Frodo, all things sad are coming untrue. And when Christ returns, all things sad will become untrue. And that's what God is holding, us, holding out for us, to abide in Christ until he returns when all things sad become untrue. And we'll know him, and we'll, we'll be like him, we'll have bodies that don't break down, we'll treasure him, and we'll walk with him. And until then, his call upon us is to abide, to abide in God himself. Let me pray for us.